Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're talking with journalist Melissa Hirsch about how her Buddhist practice has helped her navigate her career journey. This episode is especially relevant for anyone who may have a dream that they are pursuing but finding the path to get there a bit more winding than they expected. Melissa explains how chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo helped her transform her childhood dream to become a journalist into a deeper sense of purpose to use her voice for justice. I'll let her share the rest. Here's Melissa. My name is Melissa Hirsch. I am 31 now, um, and I live in New York City, um, and I am a journalist. Awesome. I'm extra excited to talk to you today because uh, we go way back, actually, <laughs> both in Buddhism and journalism. Um, so yes. we're going to talk a bit about your career and um, kind of what role Buddhism played in, in kind of finding your path. Sure. Um, but why don't we just start with context, which is if you could tell me briefly, how did you get introduced to SGI Nichiren Buddhism? And then when did you start chanting and why were you interested at all? Sure. Yeah. I, I started because my parents chant. So I could say that they probably introduced me. I mean, they did. Um, but, you know, I think for anyone whose parents are a part of anything, you know, it's hard for that to be enough for it to be a reason to compel you to continue to do it throughout your life, I would say. So for me, you know, I would say that the big moment that I started really chanting for myself, you know, before that, I would say that I was chanting, you know, let me let me do well in school, you know, let me get good grades. And, you know, just kind of it was like very basic stuff, you know, in that way, not that those things aren't important. But the big turning point for me in my practice um, when I really started to chant was um, I'm from New Orleans. And so um, at that point, we had a Hurricane Katrina when I was in high school. And so mm -hmm. it was a big turning point in that I, um, I like we had to leave home. And, you know, on top of it, just a few days before the hurricane hit, I lost my grandma and she was probably the closest person to me besides my parents. So it was a huge loss for me. And at like this pivotal moment in my life, I'm 15. Um, and so we had to just immediately pack up our bags. It was right after her funeral. So we had to like take my uncle back to Dallas, Texas. That's where we moved. And, um, you know, having no sense of like what was coming really. And, I just remember it was the middle of the night and, you know, what I thought was going to be a short weekend ended up being weeks away from home, you know, and mm -hmm. I think my deepest prayer at that moment was just, I want to be able to go home. Um, and so also just having a sense of like experiencing and viewing so much loss and death and devastation, having no idea what New Orleans was like anymore, what Louisiana was like it was terrifying. And so that was a moment for me when I started to chant with this bigger sense of like, I want everyone to be safe. And it was my first time really chanting, not just about myself, I think, you know, um, but a bigger sense of like, wow, I need to chant about, you know, really protecting and transforming whatever was happening in the city to cause it to be like this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, um, do you remember like, 
because you you said that you know you started for kind of personal reasons or your own kind of self interest, but in Buddhism, that's okay. Like most yeah. people start chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo because maybe they have something they're struggling with, whether it's acute or it's long term or whatever. Um, and then that kind of once you start to see it work, you also kind of feel well, what if I chant for my family members? What if I chant for my community? Um, so I, I love that you kind of dove into both those angles right away. Um, but do you remember like how you felt like when you first started chanting? Because I imagine you were under so much stress and fear, you know, as was everyone else at the time. Yeah, I, I do remember it. And I was reflecting on that. Um, I think it was just a sense of hope because everywhere else, um, you know, you watch the news, you know, you're just kind of shrouded, I would say, in a sense of misery and, you know, sadness. But when I chanted, I felt a deep sense of hope coming out of my life. And I think that's also what I felt in our community too. our Buddhist community was a sense of like, you know, everywhere else, you know, of course, people felt sorry for you, you know, but at that moment, I think just like, it was the first time, like, I felt like people just like, you know, everything I read, all the encouragement we received, you know, all this care, it was just genuinely just sincere, just like, just a sense of conviction that everything would be okay. So I think that was something that really felt different, you know, when I chanted and when I would read encouragement. And not only that, but like, this is not just like something that's happening to me, but now we can really transform something on the deepest level since, you know, like even at, you know, I'm not going to like dismiss being 15, but for me, I was like a really naive, like naive 15 year old. And I was like really stuck in my own like little bubble. But, you know, it's like the first time, like kind of feeling like, you know, they're really systemic issues involved and why this would happen in the first place, you know, that they're human reasons, you know, corruption, greed, you know, all these things that are causing this to happen to this city, to this, to state, to this whole Gulf Coast. So, you know, it's kind of realizing that, you know, not only is this happening because of people, but because of people, it can also change, you know, that we can transform it for the better. So that was something I really felt come out of my life, you know, like a deeper determination to, to do something about it. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> profound realization as a teenager. But um, actually, I think a lot of teenagers today seeing the things that are happening in the world, like are um, kind of hungry for that kind of hope or courage and also very like empathetic and wise and aware of the the kind of issues underneath that are causing a lot of the problems that we're, we're seeing. So oh, if any totally. teenagers are listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I feel like it's timing timing wise, it's very relevant. Um, so so why don't we move to to understand a little context about your career? Um, mm -hmm. Did you always want to be a journalist? And and yeah, why did you want to get into journalism? What did you think that meant when you were younger? Tell me the kind of backstory. Yeah, I think it was because I wanted to become a journalist because I loved just this idea of journalism, you know, and everyone was always just like, Melissa, you know, you love to talk, you know, like you're competitive, like all these things, just like everyone was just kind of feeding into this idea that I'd be a great journalist. And like, you know, I had like such a big ego that I was like, yeah, this is like the career path for me. This combines everything that I love in the world of like history and current affairs, all this, this is enough, you know, I can become a great journalist. So from a young age, I think, you know, I remember like just hearing that and also just kind Kind of like somewhere along the line, I was just like, yeah, this is it for me. And like, I'm a very like competitive person, like I said. So it's like, if like 
something kind of comes along and I like decide that this is what I want to do, then I'm going to do it, you know? And so it's just like, there's no backing down at that point for me, if this is what I said that I'm going to do. And so it must've been like in middle school, I was just like, I'm going to be a journalist. And I just said it to my parents. (laughs) And from that point on, there was like no other career path for me, like nothing else would possibly be okay. And so I just went like full speed ahead, like from that point on, just trying to like like, you know, be the editor of my high school newspaper, you know, do all these ridiculous things. But it was just that that was just it for me. Wow. It's, it's so rare, I think, actually, to have that, like, extreme clarity at a young age. I think many <laughs> people, um, yeah, myself included, sort of, it, it takes time. So I'm always encouraged um, to hear hear people's stories when it's like, this is what I wanted to do. And actually, that's a lot of what we're talking about today, because um, it's one thing to sort of take the steps to figure out your career if you're not sure what you're interested in, right? But in many cases, for people who are like, this is what I want to do, the struggle ends up being, why can't I get there fast enough, in a sense, right? Which I know is part of your story. So um, yeah, why don't we kind of walk through that? So just so we understand kind of what kind of journalism you do and what your path was, maybe you can just give me a quick little overview. So how did you end up pursuing journalism? And then we'll talk a little bit more after that about um, some of the obstacles along the way and how Buddhism helped. Yeah, I think just saying what I do now will not make sense unless I describe where I started. So I will start at the beginning. Sure, said how, sure. I, how I started. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist, right? That's like the origin story was just, I want to be a journalist. And so every step I took was just kind of strategically like, okay, what's going to get me to this place? And in my head, I had this idea that I was going to work at a daily newspaper. And I was just like, you know, it's like a very clear vision of like what I wanted to do. You know, I was going to cover crime or, you know, something like a a court reporter or something. And I would like uncover all this bad stuff in the world. This is like, you know, me, like from an early age, just like the like embodiment of what journalism was for me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the steps that I took along the way were basically... um, um, yeah, I mean, I went to college in New Orleans and I I basically just from the moment I went there, I just was like, I'm going to just pursue this. I majored in it. I, you know, I worked for my college newspaper. I became the editor of my college newspaper. I got internships. I did, you know, I worked at the daily newspaper in New Orleans. And then I, you know, I went on and did another like metropolitan, like, like another city's newspaper I worked at, you know, and then like, it was just kind of like, dun, 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 dun. I just do every step. And this is how I become a journalist. That was just it for me. Like there was just nothing else, just like a little ladder that I go on. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say that things like started to get a little bit uncertain for me when I graduated from college. And I was, that was the first moment I was just kind of like, okay, I'm done. Where do I go from here? Now I have to actually make this work, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, I, I ended up going abroad for a year and that's when I was, I decided to apply to graduate school. And that's where we crossed paths by accident. (laughs) So... Melissa and I ended up in grad school together by accident, <laughs> which was so much fun. Um, so, so I'm curious um, before we kind of uh, you know get into some of the details there that led to to school. Um, where kind of was your Buddhist practice after high school? Like, were you consistently chanting that whole time period through college and then going abroad and trying to figure this out, or um, and like if so, what kind of role did that play, or or were you not, and then you had to get back into it? Yeah, I would say Buddhism was a 
my Buddhist practice was a big part of this entire journey of figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, I would consistently try to chant every day, you know, as much as I could. And so it'd be like every step of the way I would chant. And so, you know, like I said, I initially started off and I was like, I'm a competitive person. This is what's right for me. You know, and that was kind of like the base kind of like feeling I had about journalism. But as I chanted and I, you know, participated in, you know, our community, um, I started to see that that wasn't enough for me. And the more that I really read um, Daisaku Ikeda's writings and how much it was about connecting life to life with a person, you know, it, it, it felt like journalism was so much deeper than just like about, you know, me doing well and my name being out there, my byline. It meant, you know, really being able to tell people's stories and the whole reason that I want to be a journalist, like it took on a different, deeper meaning, I think, as I started to chant and as I started to like kind of understand Buddhist philosophy more, because it wasn't just about like me succeeding, but wanting to transform, you know, these systemic issues that I had mentioned earlier, but also seeing that, you know, what it took would be like really connecting life to life with the person right in front of me. And so um, I remember this one time when I was like, um, working at, like I said, the the daily newspaper back home in New Orleans. And um, I had to go out. I would go out on the weekends and, like, do breaking news reporting. And a lot of that in New Orleans is crime-related. So I would go out, and someone had been shot and killed the night before. And so I went out. I had to go and meet his family. They're just like, go find his family, go talk to his family. Um, it was the first time I'd ever done something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... I went and they let me into their house and they just spoke to me for an hour about this person who they had just lost. And it was a young, young man, you know, he must've been under 25, you know, if not younger. And, you know, it was his mom, just like, kind of like this room of people, you know, gathered for this person. And it was my first realization that like, this isn't about me, you know, this is about people. And I think it was only because of my Buddhist practice that I was able to realize that, like, I had to be able to, like, to have courage myself. I had to be able to have compassion myself to be able to, you know, help people tell their stories, not for me to be the one to, like, just kind of, like, you know, do something with it, you know. And it it made me feel, too, like, that there were... like I had said, like major systemic issues with the way that our society is run that allows people like that to lose their lives. And I couldn't feel okay just like sticking at like these like, you know, little stories, you know, here and there about it, but to uncover really what was like the deeper suffering and the deeper issues that are causing people to to lose their lives like that. Wow. Yeah, that's I I can envision what that moment must have felt like because there really is something about also being let into a stranger's home versus what you read about something happening like there's just there's detail there's emotion there's just you realize it's human beings that are being affected by the things that we're we're writing about and we don't always feel that when we're consuming the news (laughs) necessarily 100 percent yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I have one um, 
follow-up question because I know, you know, I, I'm curious to know sort of how this then panned out in grad school because what you're describing actually, I think it's applicable to, to many careers, not just journalism, but like this tension between you want to succeed, you want to develop your own livelihood, you're a young adult who's trying to find their way in the world, and then the work that you do can really impact the lives of other people. In journalism, often it's about representation, it's about justice and all of those things. In other careers, it might be something else. Um, and to just grapple with both those things at the same time is no small feat, you know? Um, so in terms of your your Buddhist practice, like in this time period, um, when you were chanting, like what, you know, how did the actual act of chanting help? I'm just thinking from the perspective of someone who's new, who's like, I, I get the realizations that you're having, but like on a day to day basis, you know, what role was chanting playing in you navigating all of this? Does that make sense? It does. Chanting every day helped me to basically just have the courage, wisdom, and compassion, right? We always talk about those three pillars, but those were the things I think that I needed in those moments. And like, you know, and it's even today, right? It's like I'm chanting and it's just like, you're kind of grappling with all those kinds of different emotions. Like you're feeling of an imposter or your anxiety of like going out and talking to people, all these things. But when I could go to the base level of my Buddhahood, um, when I could chant to just manifest that and just focus on that, like, how do I really, you know, fight for, you know, transforming, you know, the way that our society operates. I know that sounds like really lofty, but, you know, really based on that, just feel like, let me be indispensable. Let me really do my best. Then everything really kind of will, you know, I can do my best in those situations because it's like, obviously you're like on a roller coaster all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I hear that. No, thank you for, for, sharing um so so then what happened when you you decided okay grad school is the next step for me and at the same time you're starting to develop this kind of greater sense of purpose about why it is that you want to do journalism and what its impact is um but i understand that even even during and after grad school it wasn't like a clean and straight path um so how did your dream evolve and were there yeah like any challenges that you had to face in figuring out your next steps yeah, there were many challenges after grad school and even starting in grad school because I got to grad school and here I am so confident, so cocky. <laughs> and <laughs> I realized for the first time that, oh, I want to be a journalist. Well, hundreds of other people want to be journalists too. <laughs> You're not special. <laughs> I think that was like my first like kind of like like reality check. And, oh, you want to fight for justice? Look at all these other people who want to do the same thing, who want to create systemic change and do all this stuff. You know, I felt like a cliche at that point. And it created such, you know, such a sense of anxiety for me in grad school, I think, of just feeling like, you know, um, I can't measure up, you know. And it was the first time I felt like anything I do, I can't just like, you know, just fight my way out of this basically, you know, like regular, just like do your best isn't going to cut it at that point. And I had my first, you know, bout of anxiety, like in a deeper way, like where I like, was like, why is my heart racing? And I went to the doctor and like, oh, you're having a panic attack and like paralyzed from doing work, you know, for like weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. It was really hard in journal and grad school. Um, and you know, towards the end of it though, I was really chanting and, um, 
it, I was living in New York at that point, right? My graduate school took me to New York to meet EOG. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I was just like, I want to be here. Like for some reason it was like, I want to do journalism in New York. So, you know, I applied for this fellowship at the end of graduate school. And it was in that moment that, you know, I didn't feel qualified at all. I'd kind of built up this sense of like, you will never measure up. You know, why did you even do this? You spent all this money and, you know, there's no reason for you to be doing this. And I remember I applied for this fellowship. It was like the first time we were doing this fellowship at my graduate school, our graduate school. And, you know, I was like, who knows? There's no chance that I might get it, but why not apply? And so I applied and um, I was outright rejected. <laughs> It was an investigative fellowship because that's what I really had wanted to do was do more investigative journalism. Like I said, I wanted to see what systemic change could look like. And it meant really uncovering wrongdoing at like a systemic level for me. And um, that's what kind of brought me to New York in the first place, this graduate program. And this, I was outright rejected. And so that was when I really started to chant, you know, in like a new way. I was just like, I... I don't, I feel worthless, basically, you know, everything up until then had been about, um, you know, doing well. And here I am, I just got rejected. Um, I've never been rejected like this, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, I was like, again, like very sheltered in that way. And then, um, you know, that was a moment, though, that like, um, I realized how much fear was attached to, to this you know, to my career, basically, you know, and for the first time, I started to chant to face that fear head on. And as I chanted, that fear just like, just, it just evaporated. And that was the moment I was like, I'm going to do this. I felt like the sense of like courage welling forth in my life again. And I remember I saw my, you know, like a, a professor and I was like, you know, I really wanted that fellowship. I told her. <laughs> And like, you know, I somehow found the courage even to say that if you want to talk about something really practical, like, you know, a week ago, I wouldn't have said that. But I was just like, you know what, like, why not tell her how I felt about it? Because she was the one who's hiring people for it. And I just told her, I was like, I really wanted it. And, you know, a few days later, for whatever reason, you know, I got this email from her being like, hey, we want to interview you. We made a mistake. We want to see you. And that was such a moment where I was just like, wow, like, my inner change shifted something in my environment because I would never have gone out of my way to like say something like that, to have the courage to do that. So, you know, I was able to bring that same energy, like my heart, my heart for want, like what I wanted to do, what I could do, what only I could do, not anyone else, you know, not amid the, you know, however many people had applied to this, to this fellowship. And I did that in my interview and it was, that was how I ended up getting it basically I got hired to do this big fellowship and this big project that you know would be such a turning point in my life mm. yeah I think there is something you know we talk so much in Buddhism about um inner transformation or human revolution which is like this continual process through chanting and studying Buddhism and applying it to your life that you as a person change so um as much as you're comfortable sharing kind of what was the fellowship? Why was it a turning point? Like what kind of work was it? And then from there, yeah, what happened? My fellowship was an energy and environment. On the very basic level, it was going to be this big investigative project. Um, and it was with three other, um, you know, graduates of the program that I was in. Um, and we had an editor and we we're going to be in the small room for a year. Um, researching and 
you know, investigating um, basically the roots of the climate change crisis is what it was. And so um, I knew going into it that this was like a really ambitious project. And um, it was also just like nothing I'd ever done before. I had a a fear of climate change. Um, like just going in, I was like, how am I going to deal with this subject that just, you know, freaks me out so much because this deals with like the future of our world. Um, and yeah, so I basically just went in and every bit of imposter syndrome just came out through this project because it was like, you're just like going from like having like little, like, you know, hand holding through grad school, you know, like kind of being able to talk about investigative journalism, but then suddenly you're doing investigative journalism. And, you know, it just felt like such a different ball game. And um, so even though I got this fellowship, that was really just the start because so much of my imposter syndrome came out at that point. And so much of my social anxiety came out at that point because I really struggled with talking with people too, like just picking up the phone and calling people. I was like, what are they going to think? And you have this big story kind of weighing over you of like, how, how are you going to, how, how are you going to tackle this big project? And, you know, I felt like so ill-equipped basically not because of school but just because of myself like you know I you know why me like why was I the one chosen to be part of this you know everyone else is so much better than me the same things that came out in grad school came out at that point um and so it was a year you know we would, we, my colleagues and I were four of us and our editor um we were just in a small room um just like making calls all day researching reading like scientific papers from the 70s and stuff and, you know, it, it really brought out so much of my anxiety so that if you want to talk about chanting every day and, you know, how I applied it every day, I would just chant to not lose it, you know, like to just <laughs> be able to like go in and like do one thing. Cause I, you know, it was that same paralysis, that same anxiety just kept coming up, like feeling so inexperienced, um, and feeling like I wanted to do such a good job at this, you know, because it was such an important story. You know, we're talking about climate change here and, and feeling like, you know, they should have just picked someone else basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I can feel the weight of what you're describing and, um, but, but you made it through. So like I did <laughs> chanting every day. Again, I'm thinking from the perspective of someone, maybe they have a, you know, maybe they got the big opportunity in whatever their career is, but then they're like, I don't know if I can actually do this. How did I get here? Kind of, that is the most real feeling that I think many people will be able to relate to. Um, so how did you like over the course of that year, you're chanting not to lose it. And then, at the end, I mean, I know that the story turned out really well, so maybe you can share how it turned out if you're comfortable. But um, also, like, what changed within you, you know? It, it starts with a change in me, I would say, um, because I, 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 again, it was just a, I could, I, I was part of this community and being able to, like, be encouraged, you know, study Buddhist philosophy, it reminded me once again, everything always comes back to being reminded of why I do what I do. And when you remember that, it's like, you have to be bigger, you know, you have to grow into that kind of great Buddhahood that's already in you, you know? And so when I could tap into that, you know, it was a daily battle for sure. But, you know, I could go in and I could find the courage to pick up the phone and to call one person. And one person led to another person, you know, to doing everything that I needed to do. But not only that, but 
to also connect life to life with every person that I spoke with or everyone who I was working with, you know, again, like goes back to that humanity, I think, you know, of like, not only am I doing this, you know, in any sort of investigative project, it's like easy to get caught up into like this bigger systemic, you know, wrongdoing that you're trying to uncover. Mm -hmm. But to remember that we're talking about, we're talking to people, like one person who has a family who, you know, who has his own story, you know, who, you know, it's like just connecting life to life in the way that I imagine my mentor Daisaku Ikeda would, you know, Mm -hmm. that way I could build trust with people, you know, both within my, my colleagues and like also with you know the people that I would speak with and it it made me feel so much more joy in the work that I was doing um finally you know we we finished up this year and months later you know it's just like um you know the project came out and it you know had so much more of an effect than I thought it would you know that it was able to you know basically draw all of this national, international attention um, to this issue, right, of climate change in a way that, you know, I, I didn't really kind of know what I was getting into, really, you know. Um, and I would definitely credit my colleagues and my ma- like my boss, my editor, because they really took on the lion's share of being able to, you know, be able to uncover this and in- in- this really incredible investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would later, like, you know, I think months later, it was just like, I remember there was a it was a hearing to like, uh, you know, in front of Congress and they brought it up, you know, at one point and I was like, wow, like who would have thought something that I wrote, you know, something that I did, you know, like that was so hard to pull out of my life would be used in this way. That was really amazing. Cause it showed me that, you know, our human revolution, like is really the undercurrent of, you know, whatever transformation we see in society. Cause without that, like, you know, I, I don't know, I don't, I wouldn't have felt any pride really, you know, if I hadn't known like every part of like myself that had to go into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, it reminds me of that, that quote, um, well, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, the human revolution of a single individual can transform society, which is also from Ikeda, like the basic understanding of social change or peace in Buddhism is the ripple effect that comes from one person going through the process that you described which is one of my favorite things about Buddhism. Like it, it puts our personal practice into this great context of what's possible when people are willing to dig deep for their bootability. <laughs> so yes, that's uh, <laughs> awesome. Um, but I, I, you know, one thing that you mentioned, and I think like this is the thing that people really struggle with is you mentioned that being able to continually go back to this sense of purpose of like, why am I doing this was the thing that allowed you to pull yourself out of like the doubt or the imposter syndrome again and again, using, of course, chanting on a daily basis. Yeah. But like purpose is something that many people struggle with as they develop their careers. And, you know, you've touched on it a little already, but like if you had to say what allowed you to discover a purpose that you felt like so solid about that you could continually go back to it, was there like a, a moment or a turning point that made you feel like, I'm really going to do this. Like I'm in this for the long haul. Do you know what I mean? I would say that there were a series of moments that helped me feel that. Like I said, 100%, it came back to my Buddhist practice of feeling a sense of purpose. 
because, you know, otherwise I imagine like, you know, if I hadn't encountered, you know, kind of started to study, like to understand what it meant to like, you know, find, find and create value in the world, you know, based on our Buddhist practice to uphold and, you know, to fight for the dignity and equality of all life. Right. If I didn't discover that I would have been like Melissa of like, what, 15 years ago, you know, just kind of like, I'm competitive, let me go on, you know, and I don't think that would have sustained me because any external thing that would have come up, like come to me that could have happened, you know, that has happened through all these years, you know, I would have been so swayed, you know, more swayed than I already was, you know, but to have a sense of like, you know, to have that sense, like, for one person, even, to think like one person, if I can affect one person or connect with one person, you know, based on this respect to see their Buddhahood, you know, that everything can change. Like that if I start with myself, that everything can change. Like, you know, it really opened everything up for me. So, you know, yeah, it's hard for me to say like, there was like this one moment, you know, like about how my purpose developed or anything, but it really was just in reading Daisaku Ikeda's writings, like having his conviction and how the kind of hope that we can have for the future, that really transformed, you know, what I saw about my career. Yeah, I love that. Is Do you have like a favorite quote or concept or anything from, from Ikeda or yeah, just from Buddhism in general? I do. <laughs> I came prepared, Jihi. <laughs> Wonderful. I was really thinking about this um, because to me, the biggest, like, this has been something, I mean, and since, since that time that we're talking about, you know, my career has just gone in so many different ways. And maybe we'll talk about that, you know, but like the one thing that I've that I've realized is um, there's a concept in Buddhism. It's the Buddhism of true cause. Right. And so the idea that like, you know, basically I can read the quote to you because I think it'd be like more, it'd be easier for me to explain like why sure, this sure. resonates so much with me. Um, and this, is it okay if I just read this whole yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, okay. So this is Daisaku Ikeda, right? And he's talking, um, and this is in this book called The Wisdom of the Lotus Sutra. So understanding, right, the Lotus Sutra. And he says, to view this moment of life as a direct effect of some cause made in the past is to think in terms of the true effect. To think, in other words, I did that, so this happened. But that perspective alone will not give rise to hope. The key is to view one's life at the present moment as a cause for creating future effects. This is a true cause that reaches the very depths of one's being. It is not a superficial cause. And he goes on to say, faith means to have boundless hope. No matter how bad our present circumstances might be, even if it seems we are fighting a losing battle, we must stand up determined not to be defeated and from there show actual proof of the limitless potential of the mystic law. Is this not the true purpose of faith? This is my favorite part. Without putting our whole lives into creating something from nothing, we cannot know genuine faith. The intense challenge to create value, to change loss and to gain, bad into good and baseness into beauty. This is the spirit of folks of Soka. This is faith. Hmm. Wow. I, I take from that the sense that, you know, the Buddhism of true cause right, says it's like, it's, it's instead of seeing like, you know, why me, you know, the, that everything up until now is like, you know, that our lives are created by all the effects that we've made up until now. But in Buddhism, you know, 
this moment can change everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the, the Buddhism of true cause, right? That it's really a Buddhism of action. And so in this moment, you can change the entire course of your life, but not just your life, but I think of society. And so that idea that we can have faith that we can even transform like baseness into beauty, to, you know, bad into good. Like, I don't see that just about my life, but I see that in like our society as well in our world that, you know, one person's action, like one cause, right, can transform everything. And so I really see that being a, a, a practice of hope, basically, you know, mm-hmm. how we can really transform our world. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's really beautiful. It's like I remember on another episode, you know, someone someone sharing something along those lines and it really stayed with me. It's like like what you're describing, that shift from what did I do to deserve this or why do I have to struggle in these circumstances to what can I do now? Like just that if you just can flip that and be a person who lives constantly with, well, what can I do now? Your life is going to be so different, like dramatically different. (laughs) So thank you for that reminder. And that quote is really beautiful. Just to recap a little bit, it sounds like what you're describing, you know, in terms of the tapping into your bootability or this inner transformation is like because you were able to develop a sense of purpose that you're doing this for a reason bigger than yourself. But at the same time, develop a sense of like full responsibility that it is you winning every day, as we say in Buddhism, over yourself that will allow you to actually fulfill that purpose. You know, this project turned out incredibly, but then like kind of the trajectory of your career also was influenced into the future. Um, So I understand that even after that project, right? Journalism is not, the, the industry itself is a challenging one for like a easy long-term career, as many people might know. There's lots of changes happening in journalism that make even finding and keeping a job very difficult. Um, and I know you, you, as you kind of alluded to, there was sort of another turning point in what does it even look like to be a journalist that you experienced? So <laughs> if you can, uh, yeah, share whatever whatever feels right. Yeah, the big turning point after that was I had no job. <laughs> you know, here I am, I did this project. And then, you know, I kind of I was able to get a secondary fellowship, you know, continuing in the same, you know, postgraduate program. And it went on for a while, right? Um longer than anyone else had, and I was incredibly so appreciative that I had this opportunity, but I'm like you know, where do I go from here, basically, you know? And so um, in that time, I was able to work on several other major projects and to learn from these incredible journalists, um, you know, projects that, again, had this, these huge impacts, right, internationally, um, you know, uncovering different types of corruption, you know, things like that, you know, um, and they were far bigger than me alone or then I, you know, here I am. But um, yeah, they're really incredible to learn from, you know, being part of these big groups of people who are working together. Yet, I didn't have a job. And um, that was when I really started to chant, like, where do I go from here? Not only that, I was starting to really feel a sense of kind of internal crisis, like you said, because of how journalism was and is, you know, and kind of this existential like question to myself, like, you know, what purpose do I serve and who am I serving? You know, like what are, what is the point of doing all these projects? You know, and, and there were these issues too, where like, um, you know, people weren't necessarily interested in some of the work that we were doing because it wasn't kind of like necessarily related to these bigger issues at hand. You know, this was 
2017, you know, there were big issues, you know, in the world beyond the things that I was looking at, or it felt like it at the time, um, you know, and so I felt like, you know, what am I doing? And I saw all my friends from grad school, you know, had these incredible jobs, you know, they just seemed so confident in their work and what they were doing. And I felt so far from that. And I, not only that, I didn't know if I had what it took to continue in this line of work. And that was really where the existentialism came from, because it felt like up until then, as you know, as I've said, my entire life has been defined by my career as being a journalist. And suddenly it felt like that wasn't enough. And I started to chant because I was like, am I really cut out for this? You know, it takes so much strength to really be in this kind of work, like you said. So I started to chant, you know, as my contract was ending, I was chanting. And you know, again, like, just like, what, like, what am I going to do next? But, you know, what, where do I go from here? And as I chanted, I realized that, you know, I just want to use my voice for justice. And it was like these blinders that I put on my life of like this trajectory, um, when I took the blinders off, it's like, wow, there is a vast world in which I can use this and really use my voice for justice, you know? And so suddenly, you know, all these things I would never would have thought of doing opened up to me in that moment. And if I could just stay, you know, connected again to the sense of why I'm doing this, I'm going to use my voice for justice, then everything would open up. And that was a moment when I, you know, was able to start working on a book project um, to help do research for something like that. I was like interviewing um, for like a TV show to do research for a TV show. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was like really reflecting too. And I was just like, you know, like you said, journalism is in like a state of crisis. What's the point of me being here? You know, and I was like, I want people to like, not just like, you know, top level people, but just ordinary people, right? To be able to like understand what's going on out in the world, but also to feel a sense of hope. And so somehow for me, the place that I saw that going was in late night comedy news. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, out of nowhere, you know, I was like, I don't know, I was just on my email and then my, my, um, my boss at the time just passed along from my fellowship, sent along this like application and I applied to be a researcher for this brand new um, late night comedy news show. And that was a completely new world that I entered. Like it was the first time that I worked with other people in like a large scale. And it was, I thought had so much fun. And like, it, you know, it was just kind of like a feeling like, being part of like a bigger thing, like besides myself and like being able to laugh at work every day and do all this stuff. But again, like every day, like it, it go back to like, how do I bring forth, you know, my Buddhahood? How do I make sure that we're advocating for like speaking on behalf of people, you know? And like, and in comedy, they always talk like, you know, punch up, don't punch down. You know, you don't want to just like beat up on like, you know, just the ordinary person, but really be able to like, use the work that you're doing to like, you know, amplify issues, you know, and like bigger issues, like, you know, at the top. And so I always just kept chanting, like, you know, to be able to like, make sure that that was the focus that I had, that we never were punching down on anyone. Like, this is like why you have a Buddha in this room, you know, you need to make sure that we're really speaking on behalf of people. And then suddenly, of course, it's just like, you know, we have this year. And then, you know, I'm finally starting to realize like my own sense of worth 
I think that was where I really developed my confidence in myself, you know, and like, it was like outside of the normal realm of journalism, but I felt so much joy and also just like a sense of like, you know, purpose. Mm-hmm. And as I'm feeling this and finally like, okay, I'm going to advocate for myself, you know, suddenly, you know, we get canceled and I'm back at square one, you know, and it was just like, it kind of threw me for a loop again, you know, like, where do I go from here? But that was also the time when I was just realizing like, wow, like, you know, it's, this is my chance to become stronger than any career that I have, you know? And I remember that that was a moment when my, when I was speaking to my mom and I was like, you know, what if I have nothing, you know, I don't, my bank account's going to be depleted by the end of this. And like, just like living off of my savings at this point, you know, like losing another job. And she was like, I really hope that you can become the kind of person who has like the, you know, who can really overcome even the fear of having nothing, you know? And that was like a moment for me, you know, like, oh yeah, like, you know, if I can face that, then I can face anything, you know, like, let me face this fear head on of like my financial struggle, my career struggle, because my life is so much bigger than any job that I have. And that was like my realization for like the first time. So, you know, that was when I could just go into like any job interview and I was like, I am a Buddha, you know, really going in and just like having full conviction that whatever it was, like I would go to the right place. Like, and you know, and that I would advocate for myself on top of it. I felt so strong. And that was how, you know, I, I started at my current job was, you know, it was just like everything lined up in terms of the type of work that it was, you know, and somehow brought in every thread of the past that I'd had, you know, like production, but also like journalism, like, you know, an investigative side of all of this, you know, being able to like do it for a wide audience to help clarify, you know, how the world works for everyone. And, you know, so it just, from there, I was able to jump into something that like put together everything in a way that I could have never imagined, to be honest, you know, Mm -hmm. like just everything to feel myself really fitting in, you know, but where it started was me to finally break free of feeling like my entire sense of self is based off of my career. So, you know, and even not only my sense of self, but like, you know, to feel that like without this label or this, you know, like, you know, paycheck or whatever, but like really truly based on like, you know, me as a Buddha. Mm, Wow. And are you, is it okay if I ask, what do you do now and kind of what what has that had to do with sort of your breakthrough in Buddhism? Yeah. So now I am in a job where I get to research for a major news organization's video site, right? So it brings together my past in, you know, journalism and in video production. And, you know, the basis of my job is being able to talk with people and help to, you know, amplify their stories. And, you know, I was hired to be part of a team that was looking at, you know, underreported moments in history and specifically, you know, dealing with stories that are traditionally left out of our history textbooks, you know, because of the people involved, you know, don't always get any representation. But what's really meant a lot to me is being able to share those stories, not because, you know, you know, here I am again, like going back to like, you know, me or anything like that, but I feel like I'm on a team where it's really about amplifying, you know, and giving people a space for them to tell their own stories. And, you know, for us to really make sure that like, you know, not only are we sharing their stories, but we have this wide audience now to be able to make sure that, you know, to 
so people can really learn about these parts where, you know, we often like are ignored or covered up in history, you know, but also to explain, you know, why things are the way that they are, you know, so getting to work on stories now, especially like during the pandemic, you know, of like making sure people know why we're socially distancing, which like now we all understand, but at the beginning felt like so like, you know, like such a question mark for people, but we were able to do a piece on that, you know, on our team and like get that out, you know, that it was used even by like, you know, departments of health around the world um, and seen by like millions of people at that point, you know, and that to me is like the biggest source of pride is being able to like have someone, you know, we get to do their story, but then for them, for them to say something like, you know, this is the first time it feels like this story you know, this is our story and you got it for us, you know, you got it out there. To me, that's really like, you know, the point of our, you know, of our work. And I'm so appreciative of my colleagues who feel the same way because otherwise it's just so easy to feel like, you know, like everything else that's out there on the internet. It's like, I feel worse about this after watching this, but Mm -hmm. to have people watch and be like, I finally understand what's going on. I feel like, you know, now I can go out and like, you know, feel like I can talk about this or that, you know, I can feel like there's some sense that we can change this. Mm. That's so important to me with the work that we're doing right now in a crisis situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is awesome. It, it really strikes me like that, what you shared about taking the blinders off. Like if it's sometimes like our vision of our self-worth is so much more limited than what it actually is. And you sort of just have to let go of whatever sort of your ego is telling you success looks like and realize that as you're describing, it's so much bigger. Like your life is just so much bigger than you can even fathom, you know, which is essentially what we chant to uncover. It's another way of describing bootability. Um, so I love that. Um, one, before I move to my my sort of closing question, um, mm-hmm. I just, one aspect of the practice that I'm curious about, because you grew up in the Buddhist community. Um, and so I think as we know, we don't practice Buddhism alone, right? It's not just us chanting by ourselves and like studying. So in kind of this journey, what role did having a Buddhist community play? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it was everything. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're part of it, Jihee. I mean, you know, it's just, first off, it's just, yeah, I mean, going back to that sense of like how I felt as a teenager, you know, during Katrina, but it's just like, how do you feel hope? You know, it's a place where you will always be embraced and that you'll always be like, you know, it's not about your job title in this community, mm-hmm. right? And so like everyone is equal, you know, like it's not about what you do, what you don't do. And, you know, we like to be able to have a place where you can challenge yourself to connect with people to like, again, go back to these life to life connections and, you know, find hope and create hope together. Mm. I wouldn't have done any of this without it, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. You know, I never thought of that before. I mean, I I, like, yeah, I feel like you just gave me a little epiphany. It's true. Like I, I kind of have taken this for granted, but the Buddhist community, because it's not about your job title, like like you go to a Buddhist gathering or you meet with Buddhist friends. And in reality, like no one's really asking you, how's work going? How much money do you make? Did you, you know, like it's not even anywhere on the radar. It's more like, how are you feeling these days about yourself? Or what dream do you want to pursue? Or, you know, like how can we strengthen your confidence or how can we help people in our community? And it just like strengthens a part of your life that it's easy to ignore, like the inner life, you know? Yeah, so for sure. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> so, um, 
So let's move to the closing questions. First, I, I'm curious. I mean, you've described it here and there, but um, if you had to really just define your own bootability as you now think back on this kind of career journey, how mm-hmm. would you define your bootability? I would define my bootability as going back to this one bit of encouragement I received from someone in our community um, a few years ago. And, you know, I think right in the midst of this struggle, and it also was dealing with like, I was dealing with relationship struggles at the time. And she was sharing with me, you know, like what's true confidence. And, you know, you know, the answer that she was just talking about was like true confidence is when you can embrace every aspect of yourself, even the parts that make you feel the most insecure. And that blew my mind because I felt like I had to, you know, push down my anxiety or be a certain way, or I had to like, look at things, you know, like so black and white, but just as I am being loud and competitive, but also, you know, all these things that I felt like were the things I was most insecure about that I could find confidence in them. To me, that's bootability. You know, that's really your Buddhahood is being able to embrace every aspect of yourself, you know, as being this part of just who you are, who only Melissa or Jihi is, right? So that's how I would define my bootability. Wow. I love that. That's, yeah, that's incredible. Just accepting ourselves fully as we are. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And my work has changed so much since I've been able to do that too, right? Like the way people respond to you when you're not trying to be a certain way, but you're just true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both of my work and my, you know, my relationships with people, my friendships, it completely transformed how I interacted with everyone around me. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So, um, Let's move to our closing question. So I always end the show with this, which is um, if you could give one piece of advice to people listening, especially who might be new to Buddhism and maybe have like a similar kind of journey, whether they're journalists or not to you, um, what one piece of advice would you give them? Nothing is ever wasted. I can genuinely say like I, from everything I've learned, you know, all along the way, I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I in this place where nothing will get published or, you know, where I'm, you know, I feel so, so insecure, but everything that I've ever done has come to this point where I can see that like, without it, I would not be able to thrive now, you know, both in my career and in my relationships, like, you know, everything, like not a single bit of it has ever been wasted. You know, like there are points in my job now where they're like, Hey, did anyone ever research? Like, you know, something really random. Right. But like, I have researched it all. (laughs) Like I have worked (laughs) on everything at this point on so many different things, like things that weren't published, whatever. But all of it came to be that like, because of all those experiences, like, and not only that, but like the skills I learned along the way, like, you know, the the human revolution, like we were talking about, like all the growth that I've had to go through, you know, all of it has made it so that I can really, you know, thrive in my work now, you know, and have a sense of like, you know, such a clear sense of why I do the work that I do, especially at this time when things are in upheaval, you know, in society. But I can keep going back to that, that like, I know exactly, you know, what I'm fighting for, you know, based on all these experiences that I've had. Mm, That's amazing. So nothing is ever wasted for anyone. Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'll leave you today with these words from Ikeda about finding success at work. He writes, Getting a job is just the starting point in uncovering your true ability. It is absolutely not the final goal. There is no need to be impatient. It is important that you make your way up the mountain of life steadily without rushing or giving up. For those of you who have already decided what you want to do in the future, I'd like for you to forge ahead purposefully. You mustn't be half-hearted. When you pursue something with a strong determination, you will have no regrets, even if you should fail. And if you succeed, you can achieve truly great things. Whether you fail or succeed in achieving a specific goal, your steady efforts will lead you to your next path. On that note, we'll continue to explore career stories on future episodes of the podcast. In the meantime, a friendly reminder that if you have questions or you would like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.